Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening, another week, in which to explore not only the beauty of our Christian faith, but more specifically on Monday and Tuesday, the book of Genesis. We have been at this now for some months, uh, and as I noted last week, if we are going to get at the deeper meaning of Jacob wrestling with the angel— we have to sink into just not those verses that talk about it, and this is what we're going to be about this evening, but the verses that precede those verses. So that's why we spent so much time last Monday and Tuesday discussing Jacob's fear and what that might have to say or not say to this all-important counter between Jacob and this nameless angel, as <laughs> we can best get at, right? So um, again, this evening then is going to be about this great battle, this great struggle, this this now famous wrestling match between Jacob and the nameless angel. And as we get at this wrestling match, as we try to to find out how exactly Jacob pinned the angel, if you will, if he did at all, what deeper truths might be in it for you and I in our faith walk today. So. With that, let us jump into this all-important passage. Again, as always, if you have any questions about anything I talk about here on Seeds of Truth, please do not hesitate to email me at jholljmj at yahoo.com, or as always, you can go to my website at joholcraft.org. That's two L's, right? H-O-L-L-C-R-A-F-T dot org. Just hit the contact link button there. Send your message, your question, your observation on its way. And I will gladly talk about it uh, with your permission on air. Okay, so let's flip to Genesis chapter 32 and the episode between Jacob and the nameless angel can be found in chapter 32 verses, what do we have here? 22 to 32. Okay, so verse 22, the same night he arose and took his two wives, his two maids and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and Jacob's thigh was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no more be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Tell me, I pray, your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. 
The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the sinew of the hip which is upon the hollow of the thigh, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh on the sinew of the hip. Okay, so there you have it. Before Jacob and Esau actually meet, <laughs> we have uh, this battle. Now, before we jump into these verses uh, with Benedict XVI, and, and I've decided to reflect with Benedict XVI this evening because I just think his uh, reflections are that rich, and, and our discussion this evening would be impoverished without Benedict XVI. I thought it would be good to start a reflection this evening with an insight from St. Augustine. St. Augustine sees the angel as a type of Christ, and how the angel's defeat actually points to the passion of Christ. I love this insight, how this battle points to how Jesus Christ himself, in his passion, allowed his own people to prevail over him. And just as the victorious Jacob was blessed and injured at the same time, so with the people of Israel. Some are blessed to believe in Christ, while others are crippled in unbelief. My dear friends, sometimes what we have in the Old Testament is a case where we can gain insight into something in the New Testament, and not only insight, my friends, to connect a few dots, but insight so as to better understand how God works in salvation history. That post-wrestling there is a blessing, right? There is a blessing. And of course, in the case of Jacob and the angel, the angel blessed Jacob. In the case of the passion of Christ, man is blessed, right? God allows man to prevail for a deeper blessing. So I thought that to be an interesting typological insight. Now, as we begin to explore the words of Benedict XVI, I do want to remind our listening audience into what we were talking about last week, specific to Jacob's fear. Remember that Jacob froze in fear. We spelled this out, right? I mean, why else would Jacob establish his own two camps when God had already established two camps for Jacob? One being Jacob's camp, but the other being the camp of angels. Remember that scene? Jacob did not trust, and he relied on his own plans. And so he split up his own camp into two separate camps. And again, you might be asking the question, why in the world would Jacob do that? Fair enough, we ask that question. I mean, if God were to send us a camp of angels to protect us, we would probably trust that that camp of angels would defeat whoever needed to be defeated. But, my friends, could we not say that Jesus Christ has given us all that we need in His grace, and yet far too often we rely on our own plans because we do not trust, and we fall into this entrapment of fear, right? Fear paralyzes us. Shame paralyzes us. We do not see as God sees when we are entrapped in fear. Jacob was entrapped in fear. We have this call not only to wrestle with God, but especially wrestle with God when we are struggling to overcome our fears and shame. The significance of context is imperative here, quintessential, because remember, verse 22, where we picked up this narrative, 
comes on the heels of what I was just talking about in relationship to the two camps. He didn't trust God. He succumbed to his fears, the fear of what Esau might do and and those 400 men. But he picks up his mat and he, he wrestles with the angel. And what that wrestling signified is what this evening is about. As I noted earlier, I want to read some of Benedict XVI and his reflection on this wrestling match so as to not only gain insight, but also to add to our own reflection here. Benedict XVI starts with this reflection on the significance of the win this wrestling took place, in particular during the night, right? During the night when no one was there. That that was very important for Benedict XVI, and it should be very important to us. Remember, not a single word of any one verse should be overlooked in sacred scripture. Why? Because sacred scripture is the inspired word of God. And, and so if something comes from the very breath of God, we should pay close attention. God wants us to see something. And here in this case, the night is very significant. Benedict says this, Night is the favorable time for acting secretly. The best time, therefore, for Jacob to enter his brother's territory unseen, perhaps thinking to take Esau by surprise. It is he, however, who was surprised by an unforeseen attack, one for which he was unprepared. Having used his cleverness to try to escape a dangerous situation, he thought he had managed to have everything under control. Remember, that is one of the words we talked about last week, being in control. Instead, he now finds himself forced to enter a mysterious struggle. A mysterious struggle that catches him alone and gives him no opportunity to organize a proper defense. Unarmed in the night, the patriarch Jacob wrestles with someone. The text does not specify the identity of the aggressor. It uses a Hebrew word that indicates a man. In its generic sense, what Benedict is saying there is one or someone. So it is therefore, Benedict continues, a vague, indeterminate definition that purposely keeps the assailant shrouded in mystery. I love that. It is dark. Jacob does not manage to see his opponent clearly, and even for the reader, for you and I, he remains anonymous. Someone is opposing the patriarch, and that is the only certain data supplied by the narrator. Only at the end, when the wrestling is over and that someone will have disappeared, only then will Jacob name him and be able to say that he has wrestled with God. I might add something here on this topic of night. What else happens during the night? But is that not when lovers meet? Is that not when the greatest intimacy is shared? Right? The night, this is why St. John of the Cross, in reflecting in his own very deep and profound reflections into the nature of our relationship with God, where heart speaks to heart, he calls it the dark night of the soul. The closer we get to God, the closer to nighttime we get, because that's not only where secrets are shared, that is where intimacy is shared. That is where God exchanges the most profound stuff with man, if you will. And if this is too provocative for you, brothers and sisters, just read the Song of Songs, okay? 
because there the author speaks very much to man's intimacy with God in provocative terms. All right, so as Benedict reflects then, we are made to see, my friends, that as this episode takes place in darkness, it is difficult to ascertain not only the identity of, of Jacob's assailant, but also how the struggle is going. You know, when you read the passage, it is rather difficult to determine which of the two contenders is gaining the upper hand. And what I find to be most fascinating is that the verbs used here often lack a specific subject, and the actions then take place almost in a contradictory manner, so that when it looks as though one of the two is winning, the next action immediately denies that and shows that the other to be the victor. And in here, Benedict XVI says, At the beginning, Jacob seems to be the stronger. The text says, He did not prevail over him, in verse 25. Yet, he strikes Jacob's hip at its socket, dislocating it, huh? <laughs> so one is led to believe, then, what? That Jacob would have to give in. But instead, it is his opponent who asks him to release him. And of course, the, the patriarch refuses. And as he does, he sets a condition. I will not let you go unless you bless me. And, and here I believe Benedict offers another beautiful insight. He says, isn't it interesting that the one who tricked his brother and robbed him of the blessing of the firstborn now claims it from the stranger. And here we might begin to perceive some kind of divine meaning without yet being able to recognize it for certain. That's what makes this narrative, this episode, so intriguing. I said it last week. I don't know if there's any one verse or narrative that I've personally struggled with in my own uh, biblical study because there's so many moving parts, to the least of which is the very um, generic sense in which this is written, but intentional, right? So Jacob's rival, who, who seems to be held back and therefore defeated, rather than giving in to the patriarch's request, does something very strange. He asks him, his name. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Names are very important. Very important in sacred scripture. So the very fact that this nameless angel is asking the patriarch his name is important, is relevant. Benedict XVI reflects, knowing someone's name implies a kind of power over that person because in the biblical mentality, the name contains the most profound reality of the individual. It reveals the person's secret and destiny. So important that within a name can be found someone's foreordained purpose, vocation, and destiny. Great insight there from Benedict XVI. He goes on, Knowing one's name therefore means knowing the truth about the other person and this allows one to dominate him. When therefore, in answer to the unknown person's request, Jacob discloses his own name, he is placing himself in the hands of his opponent. It is a form of surrender, a total handing over of self to the other. Now, in this act of surrender, Jacob too emerges, what but victorious, because he receives a new name, with the recognition of his victory by his adversary, 
who says to him in verse 29, you shall no longer be spoken of as Jacob, but as Israel. There's the great name change. And anytime there's a great name change in sacred scripture, there's an elevation of status in salvation history. Verse 29, because you have contended with divine and human beings and have prevailed. Brothers and sisters, Jacob was a name that recalled the patriarch's problematic beginnings. When you translate that Hebrew, it recalls the term what, but heal, and takes the reader back to the time of Jacob's birth when, as he left his mother's womb, he held on to the heel of his twin brother, right? We talked about that in Genesis chapter 25, verse 26. And in a way, it kind of sort of prefigures the unfair advantage he would take over his brother in adulthood. However, the name Jacob also recalls what? But the verb to deceive, to supplant. So here you have this struggle. And in this struggle, in this act of surrender and submission, the patriarch reveals his true identity as a deceiver, the one who supplants. And here I believe we have the most important truth that comes to us from Benedict's reflection. Because he says, in this vein, we have an additional paradox because the other, who was God, of course, transforms the, this negative reality into something positive. Jacob, who is the deceiver, now becomes Israel. This new name, which becomes a new sign of a new identity. And what's interesting here is this account maintains its deliberate duplicity because the more probable meaning of the name Israel is what? But God is strong. God is victorious. But wait a second. How can God be so strong? And how can God be so victorious when he actually lost? Ah, but why I shared with you St. Augustine's insight earlier. What appears to be lost is actually gain. You see, what we're gaining insight to here is, as Fulton Sheen would call it, the mathematics of God. Where there is loss, there is actually profit. Where there is subtraction, there is actually addition. Where there is death, there is actually life. Where there is defeat, there is victory. This is why it was so important for the first Christians to understand Jesus as a new Jacob. And again, this isn't just about connecting the dots, but connecting the dots so as to form a picture, right? And I think we're forming a picture here. This is the great prototypical, if you will, message of salvation and the cross itself. Brothers and sisters, when you think you have lost, you've actually won. And of course, this is what this narrative communicates. Jacob has prevailed. He won. His adversary himself says so. But his new identity, which he has received from the adversary himself, affirms and bears witness to God's victory. <laughs> And so now there might be a bit of a transition in this narrative. huh? What do I mean? Well, as Benedict continues to reflect, it is here where, where Jacob in turn asks his opponent his name. And the latter refuses to say it. But reveals himself in an unequivocal gesture by what, my friends? Giving him the blessing. 
The blessing that the patriarch had requested at the beginning of the struggle is now granted to him. However, it is not a blessing obtained through deceit, Benedict says, but one given freely by God, which Jacob can receive because he is now alone, without protection, without cunning, without tricks. He gives himself over unarmed, agrees to surrender, and confesses the truth about himself. I love that. So at the end of the struggle, having received the blessing, the patriarch can finally recognize the other, the God of blessing, right? And here's another great insight from Benedict XVI. Only until we surrender can we begin to see God as he is. So Jacob started to wrestle with this nameless angel during the night. He took that initial step to overcome his fear. And as he did, as he was wrestling with God, he began to surrender. And as he started to surrender, what do we read in verse 30 and 31? I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. What a beautiful testament this is to not only overcoming our fears, but surrendering ourselves, not to the ideal, but to the unseen, the deeper truths that hide behind the veil. And the only way we can give access, get access to that veil is if we start the wrestle. This is why the catechism in paragraph 2573 says, from this account, the spiritual tradition of the church has retained the symbol of prayer as a battle of faith and as a triumph of perseverance. You see, my friends, the Bible text speaks to us about a long night of seeking God, of the struggle to learn his name and to see his face. It is the night of prayer. The night of prayer that with tenacity and perseverance, we are called to ask God specifically to be blessed by him. And with that blessing, we might attain that foreordained vocation and purpose that we might find in our own name. Benedict here wraps up his reflection with, A few closing thoughts, he says, For the believer Jacob's night at the ford of the Jabbok thus becomes a reference point for understanding the relationship with God that finds in prayer its greatest expression. Prayer requires trust, nearness. I love that word, nearness. Almost a hand-to-hand contact that is symbolic, not of a God, Benedict says, who was an enemy, an adversary, but a Lord of blessing who always remains mysterious, who, who always seems beyond reach. Therefore, Benedict closes, the author of the sacred text uses the symbol of the struggle, which implies the strength of spirit, perseverance, tenacity in obtaining what is desired. So here, brothers and sisters, what we are made to understand is that if the object of one's desire is a relationship with God, If the object of one's desire, our desire, is his blessing and his love, his merciful love, then the struggle itself cannot fail but end in the self-gift of God himself. What does the nameless angel say to Jacob? You have my blessing. You have my blessing. And Benedict's closing words, Dear brothers and sisters, our entire lives are like this long night of struggle and prayer spent in desiring and asking for God's blessing, which cannot be grabbed or won through our own strength, but 
must be received with humility from him as a gratuitous gift that ultimately allows us to recognize the Lord's face. And here again, I go back to what we talked about last week. What did we talk about last week? But Jacob's absence of trust in God and God's army of angels. He did not surrender. He didn't pray for understanding. He prayed for protection. What he failed to see is that God had already given him the protection. God gives us all that we need. We just need to pray for a deeper understanding of what it actually is and how God wants to use it. And I'm here to just not talk about things, but certainly also people. The beautiful relationships that he has blessed us with. The beautiful families he has given us. And yes, our work and everything else that we have today in our lives that we might use for his greater glory. All is blessing. All is grace. Even when we think we've lost, we've actually won. If in fact we are taking up the mantle of the cross. Because it is the very reality that is being communicated in the wrestling match between Jacob and this nameless angel. Because on the cross, he bore offenses willingly and forgave triumphantly. We are to do the same. And we can only do the same when we begin to take that first step. And that step is a grace, but that first step in struggling with our fears. St. Augustine says life is but a struggle in grace. We just need to start the struggle so as to better understand the grace. Brothers and sisters, wrestle with God. And when you wrestle with God and when you persevere in God, you will be showered with blessings. What does James chapter 1, verse 4 say? Prayer is but perseverance, patience. We have to persevere through this wrestling match with God. We have to go to God with all that we are and all that we have, with our whole being, and understand that He will receive all that we have and all that we are, our whole being. Go to Him with your deepest desires. And understand that his desire is that you desire him as much as he desires you. A desire that just might find itself in a wrestling match. Because if you want to understand, you need to wrestle. You need to persevere. You need to fight through for the sake of the glory of God. Amen? Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.